0: Hello there, listener. Thank you for listening to the Crash Moto GP podcast, where each week we will bring you the latest news from the world of Moto GP. Now, don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from so you never miss an episode. The podcast is also available in video format on our YouTube channel. Head over to Crash Moto GP so you can watch us there. Make sure to like the video, and also while you're down there, make sure to click the subscribe button. For all the latest news, head to Christ.net and also follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan
2: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We are a day late. Apologies. Blame Pete for flying back from Hereth yesterday. But as an apology, we've got a jam-packed show, a bit of bonus content as well, in the form of the post-race test that went on, because that's why Pete wasn't here. Uh, but before all of that, just what is going on in the steward's room in Mozo GP. That was one of the biggest talking points to come out of the weekend. And that's what we're going to start with. Remember, if you want to send us a question, you can voice note us, do it on your phone. Email is podcast at crash.net. Uh, leave your name, where you're from, keep it 30 seconds, and we'll try and get you on the show or just leave us a regular question. It is Wednesday, the 3rd of May. I'm Harry Benjamin. Crash's most GP editor, Pete McLaren is here and former Grand Prix rider and British champion, Keith Hewin, as always. And Keith, I've just written the word penalties, dot, 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 Keith. Right. Uh, Normally
3: I'd go off on a rant, wouldn't I? That would be my normal style in these things and cynical as hell. But I I just, this is too serious to take the entertaining view. Um, I'm fed up to the back teeth with the amount of negativity that we're getting around the world on podcasts, on various publications. It's not about criticizing the situation. It's about finding a solution to it. And at the moment, there isn't an obvious solution to how these penalties should be levied. I know Freddie Spencer really, really well. He's analytical. He's careful. He thinks about every detail. He is, if we talk about you know lap times to the fourth decimal, third decimal point, he is to the sixth decimal point in everything that he does. I think communication is poor coming out of, of the steward's office. I think communication is poor in that we don't get a reason why we get exactly the penalty or why we don't get the penalty and I believe that the the first thing that the stewards need to have is a PR person a single point of what has actually happened and why it has actually happened I think Dorner have dropped the ball with that massively they need to spend more budget on what's going on now what you've got to bear in mind is that there are there is a rule book to start with that they obviously apply there is a process to what's going on they are trying to apply that process while the race is going on. Blimey, it's only forty odd minutes anyway. You could spend four hours looking at some of these moves and still have difficulty in coming to a conclusion with that. You've also got to consider that in the rider safety commission that we have on a Friday night, usually at a Grand Prix, where all the riders are invited to come in and they all talk about teams, come in and talk about, you know, issues. The riders have always been going on about needing stronger penalties. They started this in as much as that they wanted stronger penalties. Some of the criteria that that are are being used in some of these penalties, you know, the Jack Miller, Jorge, you know, um, Martin situation where he didn't touch him, that's why he didn't get a penalty, whereas Baynaya touched Miller. You know, these are tiny, tiny nuances that the likes of Freddie Spencer understands But the rest, including myself after time, don't. You know, you look at the thing, hang on a second, that's the same bloody thing and that's a different penalty. Inconsistency is the biggest bleat in the paddock nowadays. Then you've got the political situation as riders and teams and manufacturers are obviously going to play the game to try and get somebody else penalised, some other team penalised. I mean, Danny Aldridge is the luckiest man in the world at the moment. He's technical director and and obviously there to apply the rules as far as technical is concerned and all the focus at the minute is on who's elbowing who out on the racetrack and who's getting what penalty or not getting what penalty. I believe, and I've said it many times over these podcasts that we've had, is again, as a solution, the riders are the ones that are doing most of the bleating over whether the penalty is strong enough or not strong enough or inconsistent or whatever the words they want to use. So therefore, they need to take more responsibility in the outcomes. The problem you have with that is obviously they're on the track at the time that these things are being issued. So... If we've got a situation where it's an obvious penalty, Freddie Spencer and the stewards can make that decision there and then and we get an in-race penalty. One of the problems you have with post-race penalties is none of us know where the hell we are. You know, There's nothing worse than waiting for the, for the podium to appear than then finding out the guy who finished second is now fourth and someone else is on the... It's the worst situation politically. So I can understand why Dorna has kind of hedged this whole issue a little bit, if you like, but it needs sorting. Where we are now with the, the stewards, I think unfairly, to a large extent, where we are now with them is that they, their positions have become untenable. I think their credibility now within the paddock has, has reached a, such a low level that it's almost that whatever they do, right or wrong, is always going to be wrong. You know, it's a situation where most of the teams, most of the fans, most people are criticising, bloody hell, would you be Freddie Spencer? I would have loved to have been Freddie Spencer a few years ago. (laughs) I'm not sure I'd love to be Freddie Spencer anymore. Um, Just from the, and the fact that he's, he's the headliner in the stewards. There's three of them anyway, but you never even know the names of the other two that are there with it. Freddie's the one that gets all the, all the poop dumped on him. So, solutions is what I started off with. Where you find a solution. The only way you can get a solution here is by getting up-to-date riders involved in what's going on. You know, like, For instance, perhaps all of the riders in all of the classes need to vote for three or five or seven, an odd number of riders who are able to give their opinion post-race. If we've got a situation where it's so contentious, we don't know what to do with it, so therefore we're going to defer the decision on that particular penalty until, if it's obvious it can be delivered there and then. That's never been the problem. And I think I think the problem is, is that even when that decision is given, that penalty is given in race. And I've just made the example. The reason why one got a penalty and one didn't for what looked like a very similar move was because they touched. That was the that was the, the line that was crossed, if you like. And that was why one got a penalty and one didn't get a penalty. Why did Morbidelli get a penalty? You know, the problem you have. Riders have screamed in the safety commission that they want stronger penalties against dangerous driving riding that's fine i went to a bit area they didn't know but they just drive it uh dangerous riding is because the riders asked for it now that they're getting it you know Morbidelli up the inside hang on a minute it was a gap if you're a club racer a national racer or a grand prix rider the second there's a gap you're going for it i get annoyed when people blame the sprint race for this it's got nothing to do with that the only difference is is that in a sprint race you know you can go for it full on from the start, because basically your tyres aren't going to get worn out by halfway. You've got a full-on, you know, low low fuel level or lower fuel level, and tyres are going to last you right to the end. Whereas you might just take it a little easier on the front tyre, a little easier on the rear tyre during a long race, because you know you're going to have no tyres left by the end of the race, if, if for fighting with, if you go flat out right from the very beginning. If there's a gap, a rider's going to go for it. And you can't, you're never going to change the personality of these people. You're never going to change the competitiveness of them. You know, I heard Nikki Kovach, who I have a great deal of respect for. Her. I've got to say, she's quite a good journalist and we've we've all enjoyed Nikki's stuff in the past. And um, she spoke with Brad Binder and Brad Binder apparently said, and again, think of this as a political conversation, even though it's coming from a from a South African who normally is fairly well straight down the line and, you know, point the bloody thing straight at you when he's pulling the trigger. But the point being is that he said he, he'd kind of double thought about making a pass on Bang on the last corner of the last lap because if he touched him, he might get a penalty. Now, I happen to think that if he had tried from that far back, they'd have both ended up in the dirt and the penalty would have been self serving straight away anyway. But but the point is, is that it's hard for me to understand or believe even that a rider is thinking about penalties when he's out there riding the bike. Um it's something that you go for. It's instinctive, it's reactive. You have no time to think about the maneuvers you're making at that speed, at that pace with that grip level and that angle of lean and that braking point. You just don't. It's a situation all it, it's absolutely natural. It's not, well, I might do this or I might do that. You don't hold a committee meeting in your head when you're aiming at the inside line and, and someone's left a little bit of a gap there. You just go for it. And then the penalty is in So, riders must take more responsibility. If riders want things to be more their way, then they've got to get more involved with it. I mentioned the Safety Commission earlier. Safety Commission. Brad, You remember Bradley Smith used to say that you know, riders were whinging about what was going on and stuff that was getting passed through and they wouldn't turn up. Bradley Smith would go every Friday to every safety commission and half the riders in the world wouldn't bother turning up for it. And the same thing regarding this penalty situation. Riders must take more responsibility for what's going on off track. You know, on track, you're never going to do anything about it. You can give them penalties, you can give them penalty points, you can put them on the back of the grid. They're still going to go for the gap. And if they don't, then when all things are equal, they're just not going to get. They're not going to win races. Now, this is about that everything. The minutest of, of timings nowadays makes the difference, and that gap early on in those laps to get yourself to the front, is everything. It's what counts.
2: Yeah, Pete Keith makes a, a good point there about um, you know having the riders discuss more and be more involved, but surely that's going to be a little bit biased. And this is my ding 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 Formula One. Uh, analogy in formula one in the stewards room you have a driver steward which is normally like a, a Derek Warwick or a Tony Liuzzi or whatever who who is there to give the driver's eye view so does MotoGP have that and if not then surely that could be the solution
3: do you want well, to say something I, I just wanted Go to on. clarify slightly Pete thanks for that I mean, it's just one of those situations where the riders, from my point of view, if they want to get involved, if they want this opinion to be out there all of the time, if they want to, to challenge these decisions made by the stewards, then they must get more involved. So therefore, they must vote. If it's, a, if it's a penalty that can't be given until after the race, then the riders need to be involved in that. And if you've got three riders, five riders, for instance, in a voted for, that that is your voted for committee by all of the grid. They have... Designated those five riders. If if two of them don't turn up, at least you've got three of them that can do it. They can then say whether yes, is a penalty, no, it's not a penalty, and they can even give you a, a level of what that penalty should be. You know, one to five or something. You know, one being a you know hardly anything, don't bother, and a five being you know cut your thumb, thumbnails off or something. But the, the the point is, is that it every time you you add to this, you add a layer of complexity and a layer, as you quite rightly say, of political um maneuverings behind the scenes this is a situation where in my view the problem has always been what is perceived as inconsistency and the reason it's perceived as inconsistency is there is no good straightforward press release with the exact reasons why if you spoke to freddie spencer directly you would understand why he made that decision and you would probably end up agreeing with it and if you didn't then you better have some good arguments because freddie spencer is eloquent He's smart, and he will talk you to bloody death to make sure that you understand where he's where he's coming from. Um, and so, I, I believe that the fault, the major major fault, and why it seems like the, the stewards have become almost untenable in their position is because communication isn't there. You know, I've I've said for months that they should have their own their own press officer, who actually converts what they're saying to a readable sheet, and any of the press media that want something have got a point of focus where they can put their question to the press officer who can then get it answered and then can release it out. It needs dealing with, and it needs it needs to be instantaneous. You, you, we can't have a situation where, you know, decisions are made after the event. And that's where my rider idea goes blasting out the window, of course, because if, you, if you've got riders involved, then it's going to be an after-the-event type situation, and then we're going to have a penalty for the next race. Is that a good thing? I personally don't think so. But if some of these things are so difficult to discern, then you're going to have to have somebody that rides these motorbikes that, that, that gets involved in the decision-making.
0: I think communication absolutely is the key, isn't it? And and I mean, forget us, if you like, first of all, with the riders, the riders, as you say, Keith, they don't understand where the line is, or they don't understand why penalties are applied in one case and not another. Now Jorge Martin sort of gave away that there's going to be a meeting with the FIM stewards at the next safety commission meeting on Friday at Le Mans. Now that, that just came out mid conversation and everyone, we were all just stood, you know, the media, 10 of us or so around him saying, oh right, okay. Uh, And then of course asked other riders and they were kind of like, yeah, it seems so. Now, again, there won't be a press release on that. This is a, this is a, as, as Keith mentioned, the safety commission meeting is behind closed doors so they can speak freely and everything else. But that, the idea, presumably, is that they will thrash out with the riders exactly why penalties happen and why they don't, and all these kind of things. Because, as we saw on Sunday, you know, sometimes, as you say, Keith, there was the, the If we take away the start line instance, let's look at the the Pecco and uh, and uh, Jack, where you had to give the place back to Jack, but then Martin, when Jack lunged at the inside, Martin took evasive action, if you like, that perhaps cost him the win, and so they didn't touch. But they didn't touch because he he he, he made way. If he hadn't, if he'd have held his ground, it would have been the usual last corner at Red, banging into each other thing. And then, you know, should Jack have got a penalty? So difficult one. And uh, I think that's it. And and Nicky was absolutely right. I was at that debrief with Jack, uh, sorry, with Brad Binder. And he did say it was in my mind in those last laps, you know, coming into that last corner. I don't want to throw away a double podium here. You know, you know, I think he said if, if there's contact now, there's a penalty um but you're absolutely right keith i mean remember back to round one all that calls of we need harsher penalties we've got all these riders you know in hospital everything else rnf put that statement out you know we've got to clamp down on this we've got to we've got to you know the sprint races are too dangerous which as you say keith is it's proven to be the main races have been just the same really there's not actually that much of a distinction um so there was all this pressure growing wasn't there penalties 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 and then, oh, I think we said on the podcast, you know, be careful what you wish for here, because you end up with penalties deciding world championships and races and everything else. And that's not what any of us really want. But suddenly you get Morbidelli, you get his penalty, then you get the controversy of his appeal being declined with that. And I mean, I don't know if this was deliberate, as you say, keepers, there's, there's always a rush, isn't there, to get those statements out quickly. And they use the oh. word ambitious. They said that Morbidelli was ambitious. Now, Overly ambitious is normally the words, isn't it? Which which obviously has a completely different meaning to being ambitious. Now, which obviously calls an up for all there, if doesn't it? If I had a rider that wasn't ambitious, he'd be fired.
1: <laughs>
0: exactly, yes. So, yeah, so that that just meant it, was another sort of, I don't know whether it was a typo, if you like, let's put it that way, but <laughs> that follows on from well, the Marquez typo and, and everything else. But as you say, Keith, these sort of things just add to it all, don't they? The, the, the problems surrounding this of why are things happening? You mentioned speaking to Freddie Spencer, you know, the Yamaha team members, they were furious about both penalties, obviously, they appealed the Morbidelli one, they couldn't appeal the Quattrara one, because it was in the race, wasn't it? No chance there, and then he got another one, but that's a different story, isn't it, because he clipped the line. But anyway, they went to race direction, they insist that they were not convinced by the explanation they got, and actually, I think Merigali even claimed that, uh, that 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 maybe the stewards were sort of second second-guessing their own verdict, so... I think, yeah, there was a lot of unhappy people after the race on all sides, even Ducati, you know, with Pekka getting that, even though he won the race, of course, you know. So you had the people that won the race that weren't happy. You had the people who, who were like Yamaha guys that were near the back that weren't happy. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that need thrashing out. And as you say, communication is the key. It would be great to have other riders involved, but you get problems with riders on the same bikes. What about if a Ducati rider is he going to say a penalty for another Ducati rider or another rider of the same nationality? All those... All those vested interests come into play, don't they? But I mean, it's a great, you know, if there is some way of, of, of neutralizing that and getting some input. But then, of course, we went with the stewards, say for speed. You know, before it was Mike Webb doing everything, wasn't it? Running the whole race and doing all the penalties. The problem with it, the only problem with it, was the speed with which Mike could take those decisions. That's why they made these, the FIM stewards thing it was a big part of it, wasn't it? Get the decisions made during the races and out the way. But as we've seen, it hasn't really worked like well, that. Well, the other problem
3: it? is, no one wanted the job. I mean, it's a it's a it's a situation well, where I remember the, the whole scenario because <laughs> okay, I'll I'll hang myself out to dry a little bit with this one and and hopefully no confidences will be breached. But but back in the, at the time, there was a rider that was keen for it, an ex-rider that was keen for it. Teams didn't really want him, and I sat there with a friend of mine and we talked about who was the possibility. And I knew that Freddie was in the UK at the time, and I put his name up for it back in that and it it was was, and they all went oh yeah good idea and before you knew where you were freddie was was our steward now i hope i'm not overly protective of freddie I, I, i he's a big enough boy to be able to protect himself but the point is is that i know he's analytical and i just feel that you've already said it pete communication is the poorest of of poor here they are under an, an enormous amount of pressure now because there are there's action throughout the field. Back in the day when you had dirty, great five-second gaps between riders and all the rest of it, really easy to make decisions about stuff. Then you've got to sit back in your chair with your feet on the desk and, and scribble down a, how you think it ought to be. But now you've got, you know, a second covering 20-odd riders and everyone bumping and barging and elbows in it. I mean, it's a bloody, it's a, even at home here when you're rewinding it, trying to, did that really happen? And, you, you, you know, in race, you're winding it back to look at it. And you've got all the time in the world sat on your sofa at home to be making a decision. But of course, when you when you're trying to do it in a in a pressurized environment and come up with a proper decision with proper reasons, why or why not? Um, and I think that that you know, it's all very well as well. You know, having more stewards isn't going to make it any easier. You've got a bigger debate, which is going to be worse in in effect. But you need to transmit. You need to be transparent, and you need to be able to transmit that decision. The reason why, the exact reason why, straight away, if you've made the decision, therefore, you know the words you need to use. But they've already tripped themselves up with the, the, with the Marquez penalty. You know, they can't even write it down properly. You know, it should have been penalty next race, not penalty in bloody wherever it was that, that the next round was. You know, it was a, a situation where Marquez and Honda will effectively get away with the penalty. They haven't because he's obviously been out through injury since since the action. But, it, you know, the point being is is that they should have someone there who will disseminate that penalty there and then and put it straight out in the domain. The teams will know then whether they can make a protest or think they can make a protest against it straight away. If we're going for instantaneous body information, it needs to have a credible... I mean, you know, I'll even, you know, Tim Walpole, who used to work for Michelin. You know, he, he got let go ages ago when they took the, the PR in-house. Tim Walpole, is sitting in his house about, you know, 10 miles from where I live here watching TV. Um, when he would be an ideal person to be able to put that information out there in, the, in a in a, a form that everybody understands. Including, you know, the fans deserve better. You know, it's not just the riders and the teams behind our fence that deserve better. The fans deserve better. Everybody paying subscription. Everybody coming in to watch the races. The bloody stuff should be out there straight away in a form that you can understand and in a way that you can understand it. So you know what that penalty was given for on why it was, you might not agree with it, but it needs to be clearer.
0: I, I cannot but think also that in some cases, like the the Pecco thing and the Martin thing, that, that maybe just a bit like track limits. Give warnings. Say, look, you know that that was a that was a, a borderline move. You got a warning. You do it again, you got to drop the place, but not instantly dropping the place and things like that. I think give a bit of leeway and things. If we do it for track limits, let's do it for for these other passes because. And I think you've said this before, Keith. It was it you know for me getting track side, you know, at the test, I got to spend some proper time at the side of the track. You realise the bikes are always moving, aren't they? They're not, you know, they're on TV. They look perfectly stable and everything's all nice and controlled, but they're constantly fighting with these bikes. And Hares is so narrow, so narrow. The track is is is, is unbelievable. You've got all this together. You've got all, riders then under the pressure because they can't pass these days. As you say, keep, you know, the riders were saying, if they make a pass on the first lap, you keep it that's the chances. So you've got all this pressure to make these, these moves early on. Morbidelli's saying that, you know, that the front tire is now sort of out of balance with the technology on the bike. So he's, you know, the area the ride height, you said you either need to do to raise the level of the front tire performance or you need to get rid of the area. You know, it's out of balance in these hot conditions. He said, that's why it's so hard to pass these days and things like that. So they all that, all that emphasis and pressure is on the first lap and making passes and, there's going to be instances, there's going to be contact, but I think, you know, the things like the Morbidetti going for the gap, as you say, Keith, I mean, that's what racers do. Quattro got squeezed. I mean, what, what what more could he do again? It's close racing, isn't it? People want close racing and there's going to be contact, but at the same time, as you say, Keith, there's a lot of the same people saying, after Portimao, we need more penalties, more well, penalties, more penalties. There's the, there's penalties.
3: the old penalty points school, isn't there, of thinking as well. I mean, I see BSB have just issued a whole load of penalty points for two boys getting Getting right. a bit of an yeah.
0: For me, that's a bit too yeah. formal. I, mean, yeah, again, I think just a warning and then again, it again. it's a situation with penalty
3: points, it's still an opinion whether you get them or not. You, know, you haven't cured the problem. You've just, just kicked it down the road a bit until you catch up with it a bit later on. I, I, I still believe communication is a big issue. And if riders are unhappy with the way these penalties are being sorted out, then they need to take a bigger hand in it. Um, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this um, uh, the next weekend the Safety Commission uh, meeting as well. Um, <laughs> held in France I love the way the French are quite um, how should we say militant as well so that, that could be quite a, <laughs> quite an interesting day um, maybe Zarko will sing to them and play his guitar and be soothing
2: <laughs> smooth it all over with Zarko I just think surely just having somebody I know obviously Freddie Spencer is a former rider and a very successful one but uh, you know and I know you also say that adding somebody else in is not going to solve the problem this won't but having a a recent like what I'm thinking is get Petrucci in for a couple of races or get a Gintolian or get an Alex Lowe somebody who knows modern day racing and and the the requirements of it and who can be there as a guideline and have a little bit of influence in the moment so perhaps more penalties can be decided if they are given within the race rather than what you're suggesting, Keith, in having them all after the race with the well, active no, I, riders I, involved. I
3: think I I absolutely agree with you. Freddie Spencer is a man who does know what he's on about, but the other two guys, you know, it would be debatable. You know, mm. the point being is you could have Danny Pedrosa in there if he wasn't riding for instance. Now, Danny, everyone would trust straight away. It'd be quite a nice segue as to where we can go in a minute with all of that. But it's kind of one of them situations where, yes, I mean, I've always said that you need a, an up-to-date racer, but even then, you'll get opinion. If you had, say, Jeremy McWilliams in, Jeremy McWilliams, being slightly old school but still knows what he's doing and still bloody fast on the motorbike, would allow for a bit more rubbing mm. than say Alisha Spargaro, who would be bloody. Oh, you've come within three inches of me. Your penalty. <laughs> you know, it's a it, it's a situation where again it comes down to that opinion. This is bloody motorbike racing. The one thing that we don't want to see is the crowd, the fans, the subscription payers pissed off, mm. and they are. Everybody's had enough of it. And, and and it's been allowed to get to the point where this voice has got louder and louder and louder and louder. Um, and we need a solution of sorts. I don't think... You're, every single incident is minutely different. Is minutely different. We're, we're making comparisons to the Bagnaya Pass, you know, the Jack Miller Pass, da-da-da-da-da. we are making comparisons, but they're all different, completely different. You're right. Aero is something that the old-school riders have no understanding, none at all. You know... Half the problem with Vangnaya and Cota is probably more down to aero than it is down to, you know, when he said he hadn't got what he wanted, you know, they made the bike too good. It's because it takes away some of the feel, takes away some of the natural characteristics of a motorcycle when you're starting to deal with something like aero and ground effects and so on and so forth. It's a different thing from, from, from anybody's day, you know, because it is absolutely prototype right now happening and being developed. So these riders are pioneers on motorbikes that feel perhaps not so motorcycling, Uh, they haven't quite got the feel that they perhaps had before so things are changing at such a rapid note but there are things at the end of the day that that haven't changed ramming up the inside for instance is the same in 1950 as it is now (coughs) so the point being is that those kind of decisions can be made easily look at the end of the day penalties are here to stay we cannot have we can't have no penalties because it would be like bloody some medieval war um and there are some riders that are prepared to go just that little bit harder than anybody else. You know, Mark Marquez back in the day. Valentino Rossi back in the day. If I had a pound for every time Valentino Rossi shot someone up the slip road, I'd be wealthier. Get get Rossi in the steward's room.
2: He's not up to much now.
3: (laughs) Well, I don't know. I haven't been watching him in cars. He might be exactly the bloody same. He might be sending them up the slip road (laughs) in the cars as well. But the point is, is that when you've got a, a brilliant competitor that is prepared to stick his neck on the line as well as everyone else around him, Trying to cut that back with a penalty, you know, Moto3, how many penalties did that lot get for God knows how long before it all started to calm down? It made no difference at all. We put it down to their age. I think in GP the quality of rider is so high that quite often they get away with 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 the kind of things that in Moto3 or even Moto2, to some extent, they wouldn't get away with. They'd all be falling down on the floor. You know, it, it just seems to, the, just the quality of riding is so high. Pete said it earlier on, careful what you bloody wish for. We've been wishing for this kind of quality racing forever. As long as I can remember, we've got it. The rules package, the quality of riders. And what are we thinking about? We're not thinking about all the unbelievable innovations that have come this week. We're still talking. The first half hour of our program is talking about something negative.
0: That should stop. That must stop. But we should just finally say, of course, the poor guy that lost the most, Miguel Oliveira, I mean, injured again, uh, just unbelievable bad luck for him. Uh, you know, dislocated shoulder, and then we heard the day after that there's, there's a bit of a fracture as well. It's a bit worse than they thought. So presumably, having already missed Termas when he you know was taken out by Mar- Marquez at Portimao, you've got to imagine he's going to miss Le Mans. And they had the pretty test rider Lorenzo Salvadori on Oliveira's bike at the test, which you assume is a bit of a, a dry run to replace him at Le Mans. But uh, let's hope that Oliveira's yeah, back soon.
2: Yeah, he had a sensational comeback in Texas, didn't he, with a right to fifth in the end. So uh, Miguel, so fast on that. Let's not forget, not the factory bike, but the RNF uh, Aprilia bike and doing a, a blinding job. But sadly, luck not going his way. Um, you mentioned... Danny Pedrosa, Keith, uh, or sorry, do you want to do you want to finish off penalties, or are we done with that? I'm just wary that it's half an hour on penalties, and I feel like the bottom line is actually we're never going to get a sweet spot because in without in all of top flight motorsport, there is always an argument at some stage about penalties. But I think we can all agree there needs to be some sort of change to allow things to be more consistent and fairer.
3: Consistency, clarity—those are the two things really that that need. Yeah, easy to say, two easy words to say, but very difficult to achieve. Mm. Done. I'm done with the penalties. The Danny, (laughs) the Danny We'll draw a line under it. Sensational. I mean sensational. It's funny, when you look back, he never had an HRC, a Honda Racing Corporation job, um, to go to because they didn't feel he was the stature, the physique, of where they wanted to go. They were they wanted a bloke to suit their bike rather than a bike to suit their bloke. Uh which is pretty short I mean, pretty honda actually thinking about it i mean they're, they're always a situation where engineering wise they're fantastic engineers at honda but they do want things to be exactly their way um ducati if you go back to the days of casey stoner he was the only one that could ride a ducati because that's how they built it and so therefore he was the only bloke that could ride it at honda it was only mark Marquez that could ride honda for quite some considerable time But i think danny pedrosa i mean it Have you ever seen a more popular situation than at the weekend? I certainly haven't. I mean, the little samurai was, was accolades everywhere. I mean, to to be the fastest man first, you know, the first day and you went, what? You know, he goes out there on a KTM and and just blitzes everybody, you know, and it, (laughs) I suppose it also begs the other, the other slamming that we ought to have and the rest of the world already. I mean. Where did the world get it so wrong when it came to KTM? I mean, like KTM, you know, on nobody's lips was the fact that KTM was going to be anywhere in the hunt this year at all. And all of a sudden, they've turned around a pretty poor set of tests early on in the season to where they are now.
2: May I remind you that you both predicted KTM to be the biggest flop of 2023?
3: <laughs> well, we we, quite, we knew you'd slam us with that at some stage, Harry, but um, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll get you back somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but the point being is, is that Danny is, is, is a man that has been on that case and KTM have made a motorbike that suits a variety of styles, which is where I wanted to get to, whereas Honda didn't. They wanted a rider that suited their bike. So they let Danny go. KTM... Being a bit smart and a bit more um, thinking outside the box brought him on board. And look where we are. We've got different styles of riders that are doing really well on KTMs. Where nobody, smart asses or not, Harry, (laughs) thought they would be anywhere near like where they are now. And anybody that says they did think that they would be right out front must have had some insider knowledge from somewhere.
2: I mean, it is. It's a. It's it's great. It's a great story, Pete, isn't it? I mean, I mean, Petrosa qualified sixth, sprint finished sixth, Grand Prix seventh. Binder first in the sprint, second in Grand Prix. Miller th- two thirds. KTM second in the constructors and teams. Binder and Miller are third and fourth in the riders. I mean, I know we're still early on in a, in the longest season ever, but it's a blinding start really for KTM, and and that's not just their results; they're blinding off the start as well.
0: <laughs> they are literally yes. That was one big topic of debate, wasn't it? Although Jack Miller was quite keen to point out he was quite quite fast at starting on the Ducati and everyone said he was the bike and now he's on the KTM and he's just a yeah. fast <laughs> and everyone says
1: it's the bike. Uh- Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
3: That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited
2: from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash
1: switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: So, yeah. uh, But, yeah, there were a lot of riders actually at the test saying that, well, to name them, Cotteraro and Alicia Spargo, saying, you know, pretty much they're, they're fairly jealous of the way that that KTM... Behaves in the race. They have a bike that can race. We've spoken about it before. All the bikes are fast, but some of them are fast for qualifying. It's the the Yamaha syndrome, if you like. They're fantastic if you're out there riding on your own, and it's also what Elise kind of says about the Aprilia, who was on pole position, of course. He can do fantastic laps on his own, but when you put them in a race situation with other bikes messing them up and holding them back, they struggle. The KTM, meanwhile, as you saw with. And, and it's partly to do with the riding styles of those guys as well, you know, backing the bike into the corner and everything else. They can overtake. They don't seem to struggle as much with the, the front end pressure temperature problems that we keep hearing about and all this kind of thing. So quite a lot of riders at the test were trying also to prepare for Le Mans towards the end of the day. You might say, well, what does that mean? Well, just focusing on braking, basically, is so I may stop-go-track, the next one at Le Mans. And some of them were sort of trying to do some more of that, backing the bike in, taking the weight off the. Alex Marquez was explaining, taking the weight off the front of the bike, going in and that kind of thing by sliding the rear and all this. So, yeah, a lot of people are looking at the KTM and uh, trying to understand what's going on. And Danny, fantastic story, as you say. I mean, I think it was nearly 80,000 fans on Sunday. It It was rammed. I mean, there was huge traffic jams coming all the way from Perez City. I mean, we were coming from the other way, luckily, but we could see them and uh absolutely packed the hillsides were packed and uh, when they did the rider parade which has felt a little bit flat at some of these rounds isn't it uh to be honest i mean it was fantastic at a because you know in front of those fans and all cheering danny 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 and as he said on sunday night you know he he almost sort of uh he got a bit emotional he had to stop doing an interview at one stage and then you had jack coming and picking him up and sure. on his shoulders and everything and uh I asked Andy about it. They said, yeah, he said, Jack's the master of entertainment, isn't he? And, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but he really just enjoyed it. And he enjoyed the whole weekend, which he didn't, as Keith was saying, when he was at a Honda, just aside from the bike and everything else, he, you know, he didn't enjoy the media side at all. I think that's fair to say. We've now seen him doing, I think, commentary for DAZN in Spain, which which sort of surprised people. And and then this weekend, he was, you know, he was very relaxed, happy, and and, and just enjoying the whole thing. So he did the, uh, just to come back to the, I suppose, why did he do this wildcard? The point he was making is the test tyre allocation is so small now, and we spoke about this previously, that he's always using used tyres. But the trouble is in a Grand Prix weekend, they're always doing time attacks. Even on a Friday, time attack, qualifying time attack, you know, time attack, time attack, time attack, which he doesn't get to do because he can't keep throwing new tyres at it because they don't have enough. So that's why he wanted to come here and work on that. The other thing he can't work on, ironically, given how well the bike does work in a group, is he's riding alone. You know, and he wanted to get in, as Keith says, the aerodynamics. That's new to Danny as well. You know, he that, that was just sort of coming in, wasn't it? As he as he as he finished, he wanted to see how does the bike feel when you're behind other riders in the race. All those kind of things. So that's why he came back. But uh, as Alex Marquez said, look, if if Danny Bajosa does a wildcard at Jerez, you know he's going to be fast. <laughs> and uh, he would sort of they did the private test and they previously, and there were some fast lap times coming out of there from Danny. But to do it in the Grand Prix weekend, and to do it right through the Grand Prix weekend. We've seen Pirro also, you know, sometimes guys that have done a a private test, they have a bit of a head start, don't they, on the Friday. But to carry that all the way through, as you say, sixth in the race, almost sixth on the Sunday race, photo finish with Marini, whose brother Pedroza was racing with, wasn't it, you know, 20-odd years ago, or whatever. Uh, Yeah, fantastic performance. And uh, yeah, he was a bit edgy, you know, people, well, will you do another one? You know, oh, well, we'll sit down, we'll talk about it, but... Who knows? I mean, after this sort of reception and, and the, the fantastic weekend KTM have had, yeah, maybe he'll be back again.
2: Well well, with the way things have been going, Keith, uh, with riders getting injured in the sprints, he might well be drafted back in again sooner than we think, not just for a wild card.
3: Well the thing at the moment is all of the fun and none of the pressure, isn't it? Mm. From where he sat. Uh, you know, you add another dimension to things when you've got a, a full forty two race season to uh carry off. Um I think Danny has surprised everybody, maybe even himself. I mean, he's very relaxed. I mean that to be relaxed and in tune with the whole atmosphere and, and atmosphere, and to see how much you're appreciated, I think sometimes he probably didn't feel appreciated, particularly at Honda. And I think when you, you when you're relaxed and you're enjoying yourself, you are a faster man anyway. You sleep better, you know. You're enjoying your day. You skip to work in the morning. It's it's a, it's a great feeling. We, he comes from an era of aliens. At the end of the day, the race wins that man has had, and the, and the the quality of his riding, you know, is unquestionable. You, you you can't say anything bad about Danny Petroso, He's a brilliant rider that, that had to fight through injury, the kind of you had know, pioneering operations on his arms that no one had ever heard of before, you know, stripping out carpal tunnels and god knows what, that no you know, everyone said that was a bad thing, but here you know, he is still at this kind of level. And particularly when I you know, we've said before how close it is now. And that and and you, you mentioned it there, Pete, earlier on, but you know, being in amongst people is a lot different from Having the track and the lines to yourself, you are so right. And that Aero situation, yeah, you, know, you go back to Philip Island, Bradley Smith, you know when Aero was really coming to the fore, and and how much it was moving bikes around. You know when you're getting into someone else's dirty, dirty air, how much difference that made to your performance on a bike. And being little, I mean, forty eight kilos, blimey, you know.
1: Oh, yeah, Nine stone. my missus. <laughs> <laughs> Nine and stone she, in old money or something and like that. She's
3: it's tiny. ridiculous. Yeah. He's tiny. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of just as an aside, we're all stood in those zigzag type lines at an airport waiting to go through immigration one day. And so every time you walk, you know, you walk past your mate, you go, Hey doing? <laughs> yeah. good to see you again. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So every time Danny came past, it was a it was a nod. And 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 you get a bit <laughs> casual in the end, you get a bit, yeah, you I've know, been here for like an hour trying to get to the immigration box. And he leant against one of those sort of um, little poles that they stick in with the with the zip mm. things in. He leant against it. It fell to one side. And when it sprang back, it nearly fired him into next week. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's so small. <laughs> and everybody tried not to laugh. We went to look the other way. You know, I, I, I'm only saying that, not because I'm taking the mickey out of Danny Bajosa, but because of his size. He is incredibly small, incredibly light, and gets incredible performance out of out of that KTM whereas he couldn't if you remember with the Honda he couldn't use the front end hard enough for, for, for lap after lap after late to, to get the heat into the front end of it he just doesn't ride a motorbike that hard whereas the KTM seems to be seems to suit different styles which is a real I mean that's a something very very special and if we can just getting back to the Miguel Oliveira situation RNF. I mean at the end of the day or the or the, the team that Razzali runs I mean that's they could be in trouble at the end of the year for sponsorship if they don't keep a good guy in there and in, in the hunt. That also has a knock-on effect as well. I just thought I'd mention that while it was in my head. You know, it's, it's it's not just about rider performances, of course. It's about teams being able to keep that funding going at a time when it is the most costly year ever for Grand Prix teams uh, with all these extra races and all the extra personnel you're going to need
0: to run them. And, of course, his teammate, Raul Fernandez struggled with arm pump. Uh, and And, again, which is something that's come up some of these opening rounds so then he said look i've got to get it sorted if he he pretty much said if they tell me i need an operation i'm having one straight away so he m- might even be having one today i don't know it depending was going to go for some more scans but he said look we can't basically waste a weekend like this we've got too many people here relying on me and he just he couldn't write he had uh, you know he did test he did do the test but um yeah, so potentially you've got both RNF riders who are, let's say, seeking medical treatment. And uh, you, you reminded me there, Keith, when you said about the intensity of racing and things like that. It was another point that Danny made. He actually fears that the, this new format, because it was the first time that he's experienced it from the inside. He said it was useful doing it in commentary. That sort of gave him a bit of an idea, you know, of the of the nonstop nature of it. But he his fear is that it might shorten some careers. You know, the people won't be able. He said, look, he's sort of late 30s now. He said, look, you know, I'm saying this is somebody who's not in his 20s anymore. But for me, he said, you know, this it's so intense, you know, on the mental side as much as anything as well, that maybe, you know, riders could burn out a bit a bit earlier in their careers than they have done doing seasons of 40 odd races uh, like this, where you have to be on it every session. So that was that was interesting. I thought he raised that.
3: Mm. yeah but If you're a motorbike racer, there's always world superbikes. Imagine the quality of world superbikes in a few <laughs> yeah. years' time when you've got all these very, very quick young MotoGP men moving across the world superbikes. They're getting a taste of that at the moment with Alvaro. <laughs> mm.
2: Speaking speaking of world superbikes, um my main man, Ica Laquona, back in Moto GP. Can't believe I didn't make that. Uh Earlier on in the show, uh, a stunning ride to 16th. Uh, sadly, no points on the board, but I mean a last-minute call-up. So, what can you really expect? He beat Jonas Folger though to the line, but we might well be seeing him and, and a few others. We, we had this conversation what last week. You know, it, it's an issue in MotoGP at the moment. And you bring up Miguel. They have, some teams have these star riders that are doing well, but Ralph Fernandez is not really scoring the points at the moment or the big positions either. So it, it's a bit. It's a bit of a. Um, hit and miss at the moment with who, who teams have in their, on their bikes. Moto2. Yeah, you, can't
3: just, you, you can't just swap people out. You know, you, you might be making the biggest mistake in as a, as a manager that you could make. Mm-hmm. In the, you know, some of these riders need two or three years to, to get to where they need to get to at this kind of pace. We've seen that with some riders before. Um, you know, it's a big shout. But I think Pete's right in in the, 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 the you know, you're going to end up in a situation where careers are going to be shorter. Um, I think that is for some. Um, here today gone tomorrow and down to World Superbike or somewhere like that I would imagine but you know, it's going to be good for World Superbikes but um, MotoGP, there's such a logjam of talent coming up through Moto3,
2: Moto2 as well at the moment how good was a Moto2 race eh? Go on then, Sam Lowe's taking control, Spanish Grand Prix returns to winning ways since what, 2021 um, Acosta 2nd, didn't have a response for him
3: no, he didn't have a response for him either, and he admitted it at the end. He said Sam was on fire. I think the thing you've got to remember, Sam Lowe's has always been brilliant around her earth. Me and Julian Ryder went to stand out on a very cold, I think it was February test, um, when Sam first came to Moto2 on speed-up, and uh, now the Boscos Giro, of course. But um, he was incredibly fast through that last sector, incredibly fast. That was when he first came to Moto2. Um But then moving on, he's had such a hard year last year. And again, like Danny Pedrosa, the reaction in the paddock was fantastic for Danny, very welcoming. But the reaction in the paddock for Sam Lones to win that round was spectacular. I mean, when he set pole, I've never seen Sam that emotional in ferme before. And again, he got a grip on himself when he came to winning the race. But even then, it was a breakout moment. And to hear God Save the King is always... A little bit special. I think I know the uh, Italian and Spanish national answers <laughs> better than I do my own. <laughs> um,
2: well, I mean, it was certainly great to see Lowe's happy for for certainly the Brits all round, wasn't it? Pete Alonso, Lopez, third. Bad days in the office though for for Fogger, Guevara, Gavera, Agura, Vieti. Not the re- not getting the results they needed.
0: No, but Agura. Uh, was unlucky, really. I mean, he, he's obviously reigning title runner up. He, he was looking competitive. He's struggling with his wrist injuries. A lot of rumors it's a really complicated injury and things like that. Looked like he's finally getting his season sort of underway, fighting for the podium, and just a slight touch with Arbolino's wheel as, as Arbolino passed and Danny went. But otherwise, he would have been up, I think, third or fourth. So, yeah, he was really unlucky there, Agura. Uh, Lowe's, I think, you could probably say best win of his career. I, I mean, that, that, that poll at this, ski says that qualifying to beat those guys guys of the quality of Acosta who is again being talked about for MotoGP for next year already will he be uh, on the grid on a KTM maybe which is sort of surprising people because there's no spaces so would you then need another KTM team but anyway uh yeah there's um you know the point is Acosta is a a massive star of the future and for Lowe's to, to beat him and control the race in that way was what made it so impressive I think and, uh, and as he says he's been through so much so really deserved it and, and uh, yeah really happy for him how
3: nervous were you though Pete I've got to say that I was I sort of retired to the back of me, me sofa <laughs> <laughs> because you just so many times Sam and Alex for that matter um, have been in that position where let's put it this way an unforced error has, has caused a major disaster and I just hope that we were in that position where he relaxed, got down to business. He was sticking them times in at the end that were really very, very fast for worn tires and the length of the race it had gone. And you just feared that he might make that mistake. Uh, no mistake this time, and I'm just hoping that you can carry that momentum forward now because Sam is—he is world championship material. There's no doubt about it. Sam Lowes is a quality, quality rider. He's been a world champion before. I mean, we all forget that in world Okay, world supersport dismiss it if you will but still it takes a you know he's won a world title against good guys um, it just it just seems to have been such hardship for so long now such a, a long stressful time to get himself fit and back again and now that we're on the um, the proper Grand Prix series should we say now that we've done away with your Cotas and your Argentinas and all the rest of it that are, are tricky to sort of predict now moving forward Le Mans next time around Um Maybe Joe Dixon will get that win at Lemon after all. A few years later than he should have done, but anyway.
2: Better late than never. Well, I mean, that win for Sam Lowe's has rocketed him up the standings. He's now in uh, fifth, 43 points. Acosta leads just, and I really mean just, they're tied on points with Tony Arbolino for 74 at the top. Then it's Canet and Lopez Lowe's, Salach, Dixon and seventh Chantra. Abatarinas and uh, gonzalez round out the top 10 in the riders at the moment let's talk moto 3 uh because it was otola who left it to uh, the very last lap to make his move takes a second win in a row in moto 3 alonso making history as the first ever colombian rider to feature on a grand prix podium and Jamma messier coming home in third keith yeah otola is a little bit special, isn't he? He's, he, you know, he looks like he's got that, that
3: end of race fight in him that, um, is, is spectacular and quality, quality, right. I mean, Kota was, was spectacular, obviously, because he, he did what he did. He was out the seat and gone to the moon and back before he got himself all in the straight line and, um, came through to take the win. But this time again, it was well judged. You, you kind of had it in your mind that he was going to be able to do what he had to do in the closing stages to, to get the win. So you can't say better than that. Jamma Masiya, about what you'd expect from him um, around heref, And the Colombian, well, yeah, you're right. It's been a long time since we've commentated on Colombians.
2: Well, always good for most GP to expand into new territories as well. So hopefully that will uh, bring up the performance there. Um, I just thought, noticed, Pete, uh, it was Kelso made a return, didn't he, um, in Spain, with 18th after that. I mean, really great start to the season uh, for him, but that horrible incident on the on the finish line wasn't it so good to team back on the bike it was only an 18th finish in the end though
0: yeah that's right yeah yeah it was scary wasn't it That uh the, the accident at Portimao where he yeah uh, yeah after the flag as you say so yeah back on the bike let's hope he can pick up where he left off another guy who fortunately, was missing because of an incident was uh David Munoz on the Saturday he had to sort of bail off into the last corner where there's uh uh, they've increased the run-off at some corners at uh, at Jerez again this year, but I think we saw a few times, didn't we, a few bikes hitting that air fence at the last corner. It, it's an old-school track. They, they are limited on space, and, uh, yeah, unfortunately, he missed the race. I think he's got a fractured heel, so, um, yeah, unlucky there. But, uh, yeah, a bit of a scary one for him on the Saturday. So, And uh, and Holgardo, a bit of a quiet race, really, or you might say, you know, maybe showing some sort of championship consistency. He leads the standings, I think, doesn't he? With a sixth place, didn't really feature. He was in the league group, big group, wasn't it? Nine riders. I think Onchu had a penalty for the long lap, uh, uh, sorry, track limits, um, which he which he didn't serve. So he got three seconds after the race. But uh, yeah, it was it was a great, you know, great mo- classic Mojo three race at Sayeta Rez with with you know a load of riders fighting at the front and a last lap, last lap showdown for the win.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, we know Moto3 consistency, uh, if you can get it, is uh, is pretty key. Holgado, first, fourth, fifth, sixth, sees him at the top of the standings, 59 points. Only four points ahead of Marrera, though. Uh, in second, then it's Ortolà, Messia, Artigas, uh, Suzuki, the top six. David Alonso, Rueda, Suzaki, and Onshu, the top 10 in the Moto3 standings at the moment. Right then, um, how are we doing for time? We've got a bit more time. A uh, bit of bonus content, shall we? I say it's bonus content, it's not really. Pete was just doing his job. Um, we were late because you you, were, you stayed out in Hereth, uh for the post-race testings. Um, you've already spoken a little bit about uh, what went on, but uh, fill us in a bit more. What were the key insights that you noticed down on the ground in Jerez?
0: Well, well, the first thing, of course, was the Calyx frame, wasn't it, over at Honda. So everyone, all of us were camped outside Bradle's garage. And then just to keep us on our toes, there's two bikes in there one slightly different to the other so it's not like there was two calyx frames or at least we don't think so the way it looked is that or seven braddle the test riders bikes in in nice hrc colors one of them looked like a, a, a you know let's say a, a honda frame the other one very slight differences so it wasn't like oh look at that completely radical you know totally different thing very very similar but with some some small little touches that were different and fittings and things like that that told you that's not a honda uh sort of uh, frame there so yeah and that was the one that he spent most of his time on. Um, then, unfortunately, I think about about 2 p.m., actually I was stood in pit late at the time, he came out with, with a new aero package fitted to that bike, to the Calyx frame, and then he fell off at turn five, which is pretty fast. It's the one that leads onto the back straight. It's that corner. And so the bike came back pretty heavily damaged. Now, I think then they sort of rushed to repair it, test the ends at six. So they had a couple of hours left, rushed to repair it, managed to get Juan Mia out on the bike. The aim was for him to give it, have a go on it, but I think he he got an outlap, or I think on his outlap, it had an electrical problem. He said he was sort of biting the screen <laughs> because the engine was sort of cutting and spluttering and everything else. So he didn't really get, and that was it. So unfortunately, although Bradle did get a lot of decent laps on it, and he wasn't allowed to talk to the media, and nobody at Honda would say the K word, um, it did seem we were lucky enough to, to to it was it was a case of asking Juan Mia what Bradle had said to him. <laughs> and, and Juan Mir telling us that uh, yeah, so basically it, it does feel different you know, whether it's faster or not he said, you know, it's too early to say but um, he didn't think Joanne Mir, the question then is of course, will we see it at Le Mans this is not like an engine, you can change the frames anytime you want, so they could, you know, give it to the race riders for the next the next event Juan Mir didn't think they would, but let's see I mean, uh, Alex Rins didn't get to try it, he said he was surprised so he was surprised because he thought that only Bravo would be trying it. So whether whether that was Rins, you know, Honda's only race winner in the past 18 months, just being a little bit, uh, uh, should we say, disappointed that he didn't get to perhaps have a go, I don't know. But uh, maybe he, you know, maybe he would want to take the gamble. I mean, the trouble is that introducing, we, we've said these these race weekends are non-stop from the start. Introducing such a change as a as a, as a frame, it, it's a big gamble to make. But uh, you know, they need to move forward, don't they? And uh, we don't know if Mark will be back. In, in France yet, obviously Mark has missed this test. That's a big blow, isn't it? You know, he spoke to the media on the Thursday about this injury and that it's sort of the palm of his hand. It's it's sort of down here, towards it. I, I think it was broken before he even touched the ground. It seems just from the force on the handlebar, just just broke that that bone. And the, the problem is that he said he doesn't. Need, it's not a question of falling again. Just the breaking forces, which Keith has mentioned on these bikes are massive. That could sort of prise open the, the fracture again. So, yeah, he's out hoping for Le Mans, but you, you've got to ask yourself then, well, there's, there's a big break, isn't there, after Le Mans, a couple of weekends. Do you really risk it or not? Who knows? But uh, missing this test was a big deal, just just to, just to save for Honda, because the next one is Misano in September. So
3: Tricky place, Le Mans, as well. I mean, it, it, weather is always something. It can be cold, it can be wet, it can be absolutely cooking hot. You just don't know what you're going to get until you get there half the time. And even then, it's not doing the same as the rest of the country. I mean, I think the test on the Calyx frame chassis really didn't have any momentum behind it. They didn't seem to have enough time to to assess those kind of things. And when you've not actually, you know, they, they tried the chassis and then put the the, the aero package on it, well, oh, that's going to throw out whatever you thought you were doing with with the initial try of it as well. I mean, it's almost like a bloody shotgun cure, isn't it? Fire everything at it. It's it's kind of blunderbuss of of ideas and and there's no way that you're going to pick up enough data consistently to be able to make that work in that situation so i suppose first impressions you know first impressions are very important how you feel when you get on a motorbike straight away a lot of interesting aero about this weekend as well will not there be i mean uh, that flat bottomed um uh ktm with the bloody ground effects aero as well and of course working in with the ride height adjustment so you can get it down that low that that ground effect will have an effect, whereas normally the stuff's all set up on the suspension, normally so you're too far away from the ground to really make a, a major difference. But the aero, the aero stuff is is still moving ahead and it's all still geared to having ride height adjustments, which we ain't going to have for much longer. You know, So it's a, it's a strange situation that people are still trying stuff out for this year and kind of underlining the fact that we've got a long way to go in this year yet. And there's still an opportunity to steal a bit of a march on the other manufacturers by the time we get to to mid-season, where that that long break is now. Um, And that makes a big difference, you know, that they can get things done. And they've got that aero upgrade that they can have. You're allowed one aero upgrade during the course of the year. So these little tests here and there to try and get that um, extra sorted by the middle of the season to try and steal a march on everyone else. And there isn't going to be any time for any of that shenanigans later on in the year because the last half of this year is like of nightmare proportions long haul, long way away you know, it's going to be a very very difficult last half of the season for everything Yeah, you're, you're
0: absolutely right Keith I mean, the Aero, but specifically KTM Aero exactly. we, they, there wasn't that much on, on some of the other teams Ducati for example, Pekka Bagnac no, you know, I, I'm waiting for an evolution on on my fairing. he's got no intention of going to the Pramac one if you like which is sort of the Aprilia style isn't it so pecco just worked on the front forks there's a there's a new front fork slightly longer that oving has got this year that he hasn't switched to yet and that was basically all he you know he worked on and then you've got the guys at KTM you know J- jack miller have been, been to trying not only danny's stuff but then also some more new stuff again on top of that i mean i mean it's it's quite remarkable the the pace of developments that they've got going at KTM um very cagey though they wouldn't jack jackers and brad they're, they're very careful not to give anything away on the on the parts the classic positives and negative negatives line was used by both of them um yamaha yeah, there was, F- there was F- sorry that Gorg. just that just means the other
3: manufacturers don't get any real idea of whether it's Boom. a bonus or not they're not they're not Yeah. You, know, you want to try it yeah you go and try it you know, <laughs> this is what we're trying but we're not going to tell you whether it works or not because yeah. then you'll have half a <laughs> half a lead into it I see Yamaha got the old long exhaust on as well, which uh, was interesting too. I, I mean, the slash low, the low exit exhaust is uh, is yeah. one, usually a top-endy type thing, but normally when you go for a long, long pipe like that, they're looking for something somewhere else in the uh, in the rev range, in the performance of the of the motor.
0: Yeah, top speed apparently was what Quataro said, but as he said, Jerez is not the track for that because it depends on that turn five exit. So we might see that again at Le Mans. He wasn't sure. To be honest, both uh, Quattro and Morbidelli, they were very kind of lukewarm, should we say, about all of the parts they tried, which was new chassis, the the exhaust, and there was some new aero. But top, there was no speed. there was no big breakthrough at uh, top, Yamaha. Top
3: speed could be can be picked off by the fact you can get off a corner quicker. Yeah, yeah. you can. I'm yeah. fine three four yeah. mile an hour just by the fact you can get off the corner quicker if you've, if you've got that rear end grip launching you forward or that that mid range grunt down at down out of a reasonable turn. So. I thought it was quite an interesting test from the, the amount of stuff that was out there and getting back to the KTM flying starts, by the way, Harry, that you picked up right on early on. I mean, I haven't had a look at these bikes that I wasn't out in her but are they really running normal cable clutches on those KTMs, not the hydraulic ones. And I'm, I was told they're running cable clutches. I mean, if that's, if that's, well, the, yeah. if they've gone old school, because the yeah. feel you get through a, through a cable situation is completely different from a, from a hydraulic one. Um, I, I kind of, someone mentioned to me that they might be running old school clutches on those things, which might be, I mean, off the line, there was nothing to match to you. I know it's a short blast at uh, Hereth up into turn one, but but it was unbelievable from, from, you know, they just got such consistent starts. Whereas the Aprilia is the other end of it, isn't it? The, the Aprilia clutch, that initial bite and the like, doesn't really work well for the Aprilia. It's something that they're complaining about. So. Yeah, we're going to see more um, practice starts um, coming up in the next couple of rounds and, and, and particularly at Le Mans. At Le Mans, that uphill into that fast old Dunlop turn, you want to start at, um, at Le Mans. You do not want to end up um, in the melee when you get to turns one and two on the
0: opening lap. Yeah, there were a huge number of practice starts done by the Aprilias on the Monday. It was just constant end of pit lane. Um as you say the ktms i mean say see the jack was saying look it's the riders it's about the feel he, he he said look at how did Folger, you know augusto they're they're on the gas gas bike that's the same i think brad and jack and as you say uh, keith maybe that is it maybe they say look we get better feel from the from a clutch cable i don't know i mean but but he made clear he thinks it's the rider he didn't think there's some fantastic new maybe he's just throwing us off a bit but it's not some secret weapon that they've got on the bike he thinks it's about the rider because as he said he started well on the Ducati and everyone said it was the Ducati that was good. Um And now they're saying the KTM, but there were a lot of people interested because Jack, the front wheel was coming up, wasn't it? But he was still driving forward. Driving forward, yeah. And, and that makes a big difference like, as well.
3: Quite remarkable, you yeah. an horsepower and it's pushing you forward, I mean, it's something on the old two-strokes, if you go back to it, you know, if you got it dead on dead right, it went forward brilliantly. But if you got it slightly wrong, you went to the moon and sometimes back. I mean, the other thing, Danny Pajosa, we to Danny Pajosa, of course, making all these practice starts as an individual in at the end of pit lane and the like is, is pretty easy stuff. You can hear your motor and everything else, so you can concentrate on your own thing. But when you've got a whole bloody field, if, if particularly if you're not on the front front row of the grid, you've got the whole field around you and everybody, you know, the noise, the, the cacophony of the whole thing, and you've got to make that work for you in amongst that. And at the same time, you slide, you slide in the clutch when everybody's doing a bit of this and, and trying to find the, their way, you know, and you it's lifting, it's spinning, it's, it's quite an interesting time for um, for making a launch. So practice starts are great, but not really useful when you're in the
0: pack. <laughs> the, the, you reminded me, the one other thing that I suppose we should mention is there was another tryout of the radio, the in-helmet radio system mm. that they've sort of uh, spoken uh, about a few times. Not, not everyone had it, only a few riders, Cotteraro and Aleish among them. Um, it seems like it's always, it's, it's like a hearing aid sort of thing where it sits on the ear and then I was explaining, you have a headband on to hold it in place. He said, it's not very comfortable, but it's light. And he said he could hear everything great. And he said for three laps, he just had this voice saying, red flag, red flag, red flag. <laughs> he said it was really off-putting because, it, you know, he said, you're going into a corner and there's a voice in your in your helmet. And But he does think, I mean, the idea is, just to be clear, it's not for rider team communication. It's for race direction, safety messages, and that's it. And, and I think it's what keith mentioned before about when we were talking about the accident system and, and alerting the riders whether you have a beep or some sort of message this is this is following that line of thinking it's not about telling riders tactics or anything like that that formula one style just about safety stuff because again the riders were a bit mixed but quaffari said look i don't look at my dash you know especially a track like Arès where you're on the go all the time i don't look even to change gears he said you, you know where to change gears you don't need to look at the lights um but then there were some other riders that say that they do look at the dash and see the warnings or the long laps and things like that but yeah cotta said for essential stuff red flags oil on the track bike in the track he thinks if they can get it working it will be a good step
3: the one for me would be raining at turn four or something along those lines you know when you you got a nice dry lap and the sun shining and there's some drizzle on one corner, seeing that flag sort of set way back behind that it's too late the um, gravel or seeing the light if it's a flashing light it's it's very very tricky so i think it'll be a good system i i, I kind of can't quite understand how it would be awkward with a headband i mean like a bit, can you imagine a, a television presenters wandering around with a headband and the thing hanging on their ear roll, it just wouldn't work that way we always used to have the they put the old wax thing in there and make it to a, your exact ear um shape and size and it, and it can also block out sound obviously that's that's the idea of it as well as to hear your director I can think of a few directors I wouldn't want to hear. Imagine Freddie Spencer here. I'm just going to talk to you about
2: penalties. Oh. <laughs> into into a wet turn four. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, it's 22 points at the top. Bagnar now has a gap of uh, between him and Marco Bezecchi. Then it's Binder, Miller, Vinales, Marini, Martin, Rins, Zarko, Marquez, the top ten. We await. Uh, we've got a weekend off. We await to hear what the latest will be with Mark Marquez with, uh, and Bastinini with Polis Bargro as well. So still riders out. We know Polis Bargro had uh, that hefty hit. So we think that's going to be a bit longer, but we'll see. We've got a weekend off before we come back, uh, for Le Mans, um, in our own prediction standings. Well, it was, it was damage limitation, uh, for <laughs> me, uh, I managed to scoop a couple of points. Thank God for Peko Um, Keith, a big winner here. We're now equal on points with nine, thanks to your Peko and your KTM pick. Uh, you went, who did you go for? You got in a Binder and Pete. It was the same for you. You got in a Miller and a Peko. So you both pick up points. It's uh, me and Keith leading away with nine. Pete catching up with six points. So uh, it's all to play for. We'll look forward to Le Mans and uh, get more predictions in next weekend and also chat everything else that is going on in the MotoGP world, but we shall call it a day there for now. Thank you very much, Pete McLaren. Thank you very much, Keith Hewitt. Thank you for watching or listening wherever you may be. Please do leave us a review wherever you listen or watch our podcasts. It really makes a difference in all the various algorithms. And uh, keep an eye on Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis in the meantime. And we shall see you next week to preview Le Mans.